0: Hi, I'm Bobby Mare on Comedy Bloggity. If you want to stay in touch with me, you can follow me on Twitter, at Bobby Mare, or uh, add me as a Facebook friend. I'm always in need of friends. And, uh, yeah, I'm doing a show this year in Edinburgh uh, at the festival. The venue is The Tron. I'm on at 7.40. My show's called Obviously Adopted. And, uh, yeah, if you fancy yourself a degenerate or a vagrant or just uh, kind of scummy, I'm the comic for you, so come check me out. Thanks
1: so bobby how did you get into comedy
0: uh i started comedy about eight years ago it was uh i I had enrolled in the humber comedy writing and performance program which was really just like paying thousands of canadian dollars to make friends and uh try to do improv so i uh I went there, and then I just started going to open mics, and I, I got on at an open mic uh, called Hurricanes. It was a small uh, a small pub, and uh, the, the the venue was uh, so shitty that the owner of the venue would sit in the audience and heckle the host, and just like no respect for it. But I did my first set there, and like uh, people laughed enough that I decided to keep doing it.
1: So what kind of material did you perform at your first gig? Uh,
0: Well, I'd say I had two jokes that survived in my act for probably a year and a half. And uh, here's the sample. Uh, One of them was, because I used to talk kind of like Jimmy Stewart and Gilbert Godfrey on stage, so I'd say like, uh, when I was uh, 13, uh, I heard that masturbation made hair grow on your knuckles. Uh, So then I put cum around my mouth hoping for a goatee. And that was that was uh, how I started.
1: And how old were you when you did the Humber College comedy course?
0: I was uh, I started uh, when I was 19, and I always knew I wanted to do stand up. When I was 14, I wrote a whole act uh, and never performed it. Thank thank God I've read it, and it was just like things about uh, my my observations on Y2K and are uh, the third world. So I'm really glad I never uh, performed. But then I started when I was uh, when I was 19.
1: And how soon after starting to gig did you move to London?
0: I moved. Uh, so I I'd, I moved from my hometown of Seaforth, which was about a town of 3,000 people, and I moved to Toronto in Canada when I was 19, and I lived there for six years. And uh, I got to the point where I was uh, right. I was touring a bit and uh, making making it a, a below the poverty line living, but still a living. And then I just, I knew I wanted to, uh, I would always wanted to come here because like stand-up is the, f- the focus here. So I knew that that uh, it was my end goal and I wanted to come before uh, before I, I got any really amount of success in Canada because then it would make it harder to come and start over. So I, I moved uh, two years ago in July.
1: So how did you find that the London comedy scene compared to the Canadian comedy scene?
0: Uh, it's like it's not really comparable like in toronto they have like two comedy clubs and a bunch of open mics and i work for this chain of comedy clubs called yuck yucks where they'd send me around the country and uh i don't make okay money but it here there's so much more to do like there's like i don't know how many like 15 20 comedy clubs in london and then like one in every weird small town that you would expect Anywhere else would have never had comedy, but here it's just like so ingrained in the culture. Like every function room and every pub has it, so it's, it's really accessible. And the fact that you can get, uh, success just as a stand-up comedian is pretty is pretty rare to this country. Like, I don't think in America, people generally don't get as famous just for their stand-up. Like, they have to act or they have to do something else, and then people will notice their stand-up. But here, stand-up can kind of get you a lot farther on its own merit, which is what kind of attracted me to moving here.
1: And did you find that you had to change your material at all when you moved over, or was it did it translate okay?
0: It translated all right. Like, um, I there were a couple jokes that at first didn't work, but it was just because I, I, I had, like, severe like anxiety when I moved here like just like I was just full of panic because it was just like I was just so alone in a new country so like then going up in front of a country full of strangers and trying to perform like I couldn't pull some of my material off but after about six months I found that pretty much everything worked except for like maybe one thing that was about ice hockey so it didn't really translate as much
1: and last year, you performed at the Edinburgh Festival. Um, you were part of uh, the Just the Tonic Package show, uh, the big value comedy show, and also you were a double-hander with Michelle Deswat at Belushi's. So what was your experience of the Edinburgh Festival?
0: Um, my experience? Well, I really... I was pretty tired last year. Like, I was just generally... I was doing two shows a day, and uh, I lived in a living room... I paid 500 pounds to live in a living room with an Australian guy who would just constantly complain about not getting women, which was just awful, and then when he did get women, it was even worse because then I would sleep in the hallway beside the bathroom door, and he would, uh, whenever people, there was another couple in the apartment also, whenever anyone would need to go to the bathroom, I'd just like, kind of have to shove over so they get in the bathroom in the middle of the night, so it wasn't ideal, but... What was great about it was I did two shows a day for a month and by the end of it, I felt like I had a really, I was really, really comfortable performing in this country. And I really think that's helped a lot over the successes I've had in the last year.
1: So what advice would you give to acts going up to Edinburgh for the first time and, for example, taking up a double handed show?
0: Uh, Well, I would say, um, especially if it's a free show, which it probably would be, it's just flyer for two to three hours a day and don't be afraid don't be afraid to just really push what you're doing. And also, if you're doing it with a stronger act than you, make sure you swap places and challenge yourself to go on after somebody who's not that easy. Like I was doing with Michelle, and she's really good. So like, going on after her sometimes, it was like, all right, this isn't going to be the easiest. And uh, that makes it a good challenge.
1: And this year, you're going to be performing your debut hour. And you said that it's your best material over eight years of gigging. What can audiences expect from your show?
0: Um, I think they can expect probably just a personal insight into how I think and how it is to to be me, which is something you can probably only enjoy for about an hour. So I that's it's a really uh, I think I think it's I uh, hopefully have interesting uh, points of view on living in this country and uh, on on my life and my family and what it's like to be adopted. My show is called Obviously Adopted. So, uh, And I think uh, kind of feeling separate my whole life from the world I was in really informed my point of view on uh, what makes me funny.
1: And so how do you go about writing your material?
0: Uh, it really depends. Sometimes an idea will just pop into my head and I can act like I've worked really hard that day when in fact I just had a thought while I was uh, half asleep and sometimes I can sit in front of a computer for three hours and think of one thing. Um, I write my material really however I can, like whatever I have to do to get a new joke out will uh... But it... I I need pressure usually, like if I if I don't... Ha- Doing this show it's great because it makes me make sure I have an hour that I want to show people Whereas, if I wasn't doing this show, I probably wouldn't be working as hard. So I just I always need a deadline or something I'm working towards to really bring out the best in me.
1: But you don't necessarily have a, like a strict process that you'll go about. For example, some comedians can sit and write from nine till five, and that's it, whereas other comedians sort of wander about and explore and then an idea will come to them. but you don't necessarily have a process.
0: I do a bit of both, actually. like i um if if there's a period of time where I, I feel like I really, i am stuck and not thinking of things uh, n- like easily, which usually I write jokes maybe at gigs, like right before I go on, I'll write a joke and try it. But when that's not happening, then I will take the ni- nine to five approach. Usually not nine to five, more like nine to ten thirty. 30. But uh, I'll take the nine to ten thirty approach where I just sit down and I'll have a premise and try to write punchlines for it. And that'll kind of, usually something will come out of that.
1: When you were uh, gigging in Canada, you used to take part in medical studies.
0: Uh, yeah, I was a medical lab rat for um, for two years, and every uh, at least once a month, I just go into a uh, I just go into a clinic and stay there all weekend. And it was really I mean there were no side effects, but it was what was fun about it was I could just do comedy all the time because at that point I wasn't getting paid, so I just do comedy. Throughout the week, and then on weekends I go and be a lab rat in these clinics, and uh, you just be in there with a bunch of unemployed people who uh, didn't mind selling their blood, and uh, it was it was great. You make like twelve hundred dollars in two weekends and still do comedy. And also people are like, oh my god, well you had to give blood, I'm like, I'd rather give blood than like sell my soul at like McDonald's and then do something I really hate.
1: Now, Bobby, would you like to explain to the listeners what you did to your eyes as you just explained that?
0: I just uh, flipped my eyelids up, uh, and Sarah was very confused about it. I was just trying to, we're in a sound studio right now, they're very small, and we're just staring at each other while we talk. So I was trying to make it a little more interesting. And she's not reacting very well.
1: No, I'm fine, but it's not it's not visual, so the listeners can't see what I'm doing <laughs> at the moment. Okay, and we're back to back to default face. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you were saying earlier that you toured internationally when you were performing comedy, and you've performed all around the world. How did you find that different audiences compared?
0: Um, well, I performing around the world is a bit of a stretch, but I have performed in um. I went to South Africa for two weeks. That was a great experience. I stayed in Johannesburg, and um, it was really interesting because uh, they they would uh, they would they wouldn't go for my darkest jokes, but they they were a lot everything translated. Like I would do jokes about living in London in Johannesburg, and it worked. And that was just insane. Like I didn't have to change anything. And uh, in general. I find it, they're pretty receptive. Uh, Sweden and Denmark, they laugh a lot harder than anywhere else and they clap at places no one else claps, which is good for the ego. Yeah, I just find, I just find every country offers something a little different, but it's all pretty much the same if they speak English.
1: Do you have a favorite country to perform in?
0: Uh, I would say at this point, in terms of audience reaction, Sweden might be winning, but that was only a couple of gigs in Sweden, so as a whole, Sweden might suck. I have no idea yet. I have to see the whole country.
1: A lot of your material is quite dark and can be quite controversial, so do you find that you get heckled a lot? Um, I do get heckled a
0: lot, but I don't think it's because uh, of my material. It's more just because I look weasley. Like I, I get heckled by people who are usually really good looking or guys who work out a lot. Cause they just look at me and they're like, why am I listening to this loser? Where it's like, really, they got to work on their personality. Because in 20 years when their looks fade, they're not going to have anything. So, so those are the people that generally attack me. In terms of, like, I think I write, write a fine line where, like, I am dark. But I'm not really, like, attacking. I don't really attack victims in my jokes. Like, I'm not attacking. I'm generally not attacking the person that is going to. That where people a lot of people are going to get offended. So, I find generally people are a bit more receptive to what I do. Than you'd think uh, from from the outside.
1: And what advice would you give to other acts about dealing with heckling?
0: Uh, I would say um, don't scream at them to the point of them trying to attack you. I've had that happen about eight times. Uh, once a woman, uh, I've had drinks thrown in my face. Because I used to just, if someone heckled me, I was just like, I was just a pretty insecure, scrawny 22-year-old kid, so I would just attack them with the meanest things I could think to say, and yeah, one time, actually one time separate from that, where I didn't say anything at all offensive, a guy had dropped his glass after I did a joke at a call center, and then... Uh, he put his jacket on. I thought he was walking to the bathroom, which was right near the stage. Because that's the kind of places I perform in. And uh, no, he in fact just walked onto stage. And this was in Toronto. And he started punching me in the face. For apparently for seemingly no reason. He just punched me in the face like ten times. And then after that, uh, my friend pulled him off. And he left. He got away. So we had no idea why he did it. And a couple weeks later, somebody came the venue that knew him and apparently he attacked me because he used to work in a call center and he was upset that i was making fun of call centers there's no logic there and other times i've just uh attacked people personally to the point where they tried to punch me in the face that happened about seven times
1: (laughs) and uh so would you say that you have a favorite type of audience to perform to probably one that doesn't punch you
0: uh, I would say not. The one the non-punchers are my favorite, but usually people who look like they might punch me are my favorite groups of people, like just weird-looking vagrants. I know if I ever get any level of success I can't charge over like 20 pounds because my fan base won't be able to afford it.
1: And do you have a favorite type of venue that you prefer performing in?
0: I really like when I do get the chance uh to perform in like a rock bar or somebody somewhere where it's just kind of like Dank looking, but there's still a high stage and it's really well set up and I'm a bit separate from the audience, but st- they're still like at oh, my feet is great.
1: And do you have any tips or advice for aspiring comedians?
0: Uh, I would say just make it the whole focus of your life for a couple years to the point where everyone around you is saying, why? You never hang out with us anymore. What are you doing? And and just keep failing like for every small thing I've had that I was happy about there's been 10 things that were crushing and like I don't think success in comedy comes necessarily out of like uh the times when you do really well it comes out of not quitting the 9 out of 10 times when it doesn't work out
1: And do you have any tips or advice for students? Uh
0: advice for students I would say don't study like no matter how well you do you're probably not going to find a job apparently from what the newspapers say, when you get out of university. So just have a really good time. Do something weird. Meet lots of people you don't think you should talk to. And and do lots of things you don't want to tell your parents about. And just, yeah, try things. That would be my advice.